0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 140 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast, presented by New York's iconic Empire Hotel. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of Broadway's biggest stars, a man who just picked up his third Tony nomination in four years, this one in the category of Best Actor in a Musical for the musical adaptation of the 1993 film Groundhog Day that's currently running at the August Wilson Theater on 52nd Street, and a man who might well take home his first Tony Award on June 11th, the great Andy Carl. Carl, whose previous Tony nominations came for 2014's Rocky in the category of Best Actor in a Musical and 2015's On the 20th Century in the category of Best Featured Actor in a Musical, has had a remarkable journey to this point. But it's a journey that has never been more remarkable than it is at this very moment when the dashing 43-year-old, who I've previously described as Broadway's version of Cary Grant, only buffer and with a great singing voice, is giving eight remarkable performances a week in Groundhog Day, despite tearing his ACL on the stage on April 14th, just 72 hours before opening night. Over the course of our conversation at the Empire Hotel, Carl and I discussed a wide range of topics. Among them, how a working-class kid from Baltimore found his way into local summer and dinner theater, What inspired his move to New York in 1994 and what he was up to during the six years before he landed his first Broadway gig there as a replacement in Saturday Night Fever. How just six months after joining that production, he wound up married to one of his co-stars, the actress Orfe, with whom he would also later appear on Broadway in Legally Blonde. What it's like stepping into an already up-and-running Broadway smash, which he did as a replacement in Wicked and Jersey Boys, as opposed to helping to create a show from the ground up as he did with the musical adaptations of Rocky and Groundhog Day, how his performance in On the 20th Century, in a part that Kevin Kline originated and won a Tony for 37 years earlier, helped to pave the way for Groundhog Day, what it's been like bringing Groundhog Day from London, where it was a smash hit at the Old Vic, and Carl's performance was recognized with an Olivier Award, to New York, and what it's been like in New York since he went down with his gruesome injury several weeks ago, and then, to the disbelief of many around him, almost immediately got back up. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation.
1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Champacasino.com Welcome to the
0: family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Andy, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We always begin by asking just a, a basic one. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Way back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland,
1: mm-hmm. where I was born and raised in the suburbs. And well, I was born more in the the city area. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to the suburbs. But my mother is a teacher, mm-hmm. so she's she's taught everything from middle school, being a librarian to elementary music. Mm-hmm. And she also plays organ for her yeah. church. So music was all around in, in when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the attraction to yeah. music. And she had like the West Side Story and Jesus Christ Superstar albums and that kind of stuff. And my father is an appliance refinisher, housing contractor type of type of uh, all, all handyman right. sort of thing. So,
0: so you grew up around her musical influence, I guess it sounds like she's playing, she's got other introducing you to some some Broadway. But you initially were not on this trajectory from what I've read. you were kind of more of the athletic guy
1: uh yeah I, that my brother was my older okay. brother was the superior athlete mm-hmm. he was the football guy and <laughs> so I sort of was pushed in thinking that I would be following his footsteps right. so then I got hit really hard during <laughs> football in high school, and I never really was felt you know this was my thing because right. my brother he was his sizes also he had a much more size than I had. I was just sort of like, you know, I had size, but I was skinny. Right. So when I got hit that hard, all of a sudden it came clear to me I needed to be an artist. Okay. So <laughs> I, I was actually like, at the same time, becoming involved with painting and, and drawing. Uh, the arts were kind of like something I was very attracted to. Uh, music, of course, from the, from being at home. But then I, I went to Maryland Art Institute for a couple summers studying painting and drawing. And I, my I'd also been singing in, like, the choir and stuff in Mm -hmm. high school. So my life was sort of centered around the arts in that way. Always played baseball and soccer growing up, all that little league stuff, and then doing a little bit of high school
0: stuff. And after that, I kind of, like, I'm good. So if we showed up at one of your high school reunions and grabbed somebody and said, what would you have guessed Andy was going to do with his life, what would they have said?
1: I wonder. I wonder (laughs) if
0: that... They probably thought I'd be a stoner somewhere. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just, I was a dreamer and I was a singer. I think people thought like, you know, you have something to do with singing and maybe teaching. And that's what I, I was actually in, went to Towson State University to sort of pursue teaching. Mm-hmm. Then I realized that was another thing I didn't want to do. <laughs> Not to say that teaching is no, no, a, no. a very, very nice uh, career, but it's something where I, I had the I had the pull to perform.
0: Right. Well, let's go back first to Towson High School, where, is this where you acted for the first time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Towson High School in the summer musicals is public high school. So, you know, we had these, I think they had two shows a year or something like that. And then the summer they would do a musical and th- there was a little Abner and uh, what, what else was there? Uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there was this. This kid, this other kid, and and he would get all the lead roles. Evan Farmer, still remember his name?
0: <laughs> Son of a bitch. He would
1: always get the lead roles, and I would always be the villain. Right, right. Which I think is fantastic. Actually, I was like, Al, could I be in that role? And that's that's actually really interesting because I broke my foot in when I was judd in Oklahoma oh, really? skateboarding. So I broke my foot.
0: Uh, you have some <laughs> So I had a cast which, yeah. for the entire uh, run of the oh, show. Oh, you kept going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: that's it's that's where that whole. Yes. Uh, keep keep the show running yes. attitude came from. But, yeah, I was General Bull Moose and Lil Abner to, hit to Evan's Lil Abner.
0: <laughs> so, yeah,
1: there was something there about, like, finding out that I could do characters and, right. and having a great time with that.
0: And then, but this was not going to be a career path until you got into a little bit of trouble. Is that correct?
1: I mean, yeah, the, before uh, getting into all the musicals and, like, my mother knew I could sing and yeah. everything. But, you know, my brother and I, we... We were, you know, two boys in the family, <laughs> right, right, right. and so we would just do, you know, what boys do and, yeah. you know, get into trouble every now and again. But the one stupid thing is, the one thing I got caught doing and uh, suspended for from school for a couple of days was smoking in the boys' room, which uh, is the total cliché. <laughs> and it was the first time, and it was like a friend of mine was in the bathroom when I was going to the bathroom. I was actually going to the bathroom, like, you know, in, yes. in, as people do. Yes. There he was smoking, <laughs> hands it to me. I'm like, okay, one puff, boom, vice oh. principal comes in, done. D- did he go down too, though? Because he's slick, he's probably been caught before. <laughs> he ditched it and, like, he was, like, claiming I didn't do it. And <laughs> and I was just, like, sort of flabbergasted because I didn't know how to talk my way out of things. Right, thing. right, right. And I got pulled down and, and my mother came in. It was, she, so my mother was like, okay, we need to keep you busy yeah. with things. So I got sort of. She wanted me to go audition for a kids show, and I immediately auditioned. I got this lead role of Aladdin. Well, in now Aladdin. when you
0: say a kids show, though, yeah. we're talking about out of school, like more a uh, more Dor- professional type thing. Yeah,
1: it was it was like kids performances in the summer were like you know on a Tuesday afternoon for an audience of children mm-hmm. and their parents, and they would do. You know, like Aladdin, right, which is right, what we right. what we did at the White Marsh Dinner Theater, gotcha. and it was my first role, and, and I was the lead, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" But mostly, are uh, they paying I, you at that point? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know how much About it was. I bucks, think I was yeah. being paid in like peanut butter right. jelly sandwiches or something. <laughs> but it was sort of a proud position to be employed as a singer, and it was my first job. But I from I found the
0: family of theater there, yeah. and that was the most important thing. And I may have some chronology wrong here, but who is Toby Orenstein? Toby Orenstein runs Toby's
1: Dinner Theater in Columbia, Maryland, and it is... It was a professional dinner theater. It was sort of like the next level up. It was yep. eight shows a week. Yes, there were servers and we could serve, but you weren't required to serve drinks to everybody. So but
0: Were you going right from that other dinner theater to this bigger one? Is that what it was? Like? I hit all of them in Baltimore. Yeah, let me yeah. tell you. I was on Pulaski Highway. All at the while you were Act still in high school theater. or now? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Wow.
1: So that, when I found the family of theater, I knew this is what I wanted and to do. And you went all on. It back. was an immediate spark of, of what I wanted to be involved with. And... It kept it, it, it. A it kept me out of trouble. Yeah. But B it, it gave me something to pursue in life. Yeah, um, that was that that one time where I really thought like this is an occupation I, I want to do. But Toby's was the next level up yeah. where it's I got out of high school, and now I'm I'm in college. But
0: over at Towson I University, just, still near yeah, Baltimore.
1: I was hired to do this show eight shows a week, which required full time. Mm. So I did two years of college. Then I decided I want to pursue this and see what happens. Yeah, and that's sort of where it jettisoned.
0: Who is Todd Parthry? Is that pronouncing it correctly? Todd Parthry, yes, yeah. that is correct. He he was the first
1: person while I was doing a show. I was doing Grease at Towson State University, another like summer mm-hmm. musical. That's what mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. College productions tend to have a lot of lot more, you know, production value. And there's people who are studying this, so we're all trying to do it well. Mm-hmm. And hired in as the lead for that one as well, which you know I was very grateful for. Also, sort of intimidated, but it was my you know you know there was a lot of pressure at that yeah. point at that time. Yeah. And Todd 3 who he's he's one of those directors. He's very smart, but he's also very cynical, and mm-hmm. he's also very. He doesn't like to waste time, right. so you know if he's talking to you, you it's like you better be <laughs> mind your P's and Q's. Right. And I never expected this to come from him, but he's he pulled me aside one day. He's like, you know, I I really think you should try pursuing this. I he, he gave me that speech. Mm-hmm. Which I wasn't expecting, and I still remember it to this day. And it's sort of stuck in there, stuck in my head, and I will never forget that because that's really the. That was a time where I was like, "Let's let's do this." Because at
0: that point, you job. were what a sophomore or something. Yeah, sophomore in. in or yeah, going into probably so- between sophomore and, and what would be would have been junior. Yeah, year. yeah, it was, or maybe it was freshman. Absolutely, freshman like that. year. But so ultimately, the thing that comes of that is that you make this decision. You're going to go give it a shot in New York. Yep. And so you come out in 1994. Just logistically, what did that entail? Luckily, I had met a
1: a friend who was in sort of in the same circuit as I was. She had moved up here before me and she was renting a very small apartment. You know, this is the New York excursion dream that you have. I had about three grand in my wallet (laughs) and just sort of like... The dream to come up here and, and try it and mm-hmm. look at Backstage magazine and look at all the auditions and just start going. Yeah. And I knew from the, just to the fact that like I yes, I studied music, but I'd never really studied acting in musical theater. I, I sort of just came upon it through experience and through working at all those dinner theaters. So I had a little bit of yeah. experience that yeah. way. But I knew I had a lot to learn. Yeah. So any job that I would get, it was like I would just soak in everything and I would Talk to the lead actors who were equity actors hired from New York,
0: and because at that point you're out here, and from 1994, I guess until 2000, I think your Broadway debut was was in 2000. What happened in the interim? You you have to get an agent. You have to. you what, oh, what sure. kind of work were you doing in those those years? You know, you start off doing. Of course, the, one of the first jobs
1: I got was a dinner theater <laughs> called the Carousel Dinner Theater out, out around in where? Akron, Ohio. Oh, Akron, oh really? Ohio.
0: Oh, so yeah, you yeah. left town.
1: Yeah, there was there was a lot of leaving town okay, to go do these, back, these yeah, very yeah. quick gigs that yeah. were like maybe two months at a yeah. time because they had these they they do cir- circuits of shows yeah. at these places and most of them you know big musicals yeah. so there would be in the ensemble just you know and you know having I get a few lines yeah. and thinking I was this was great you know it was, it was great it was great to have a few lines to yeah. say you know be a part of the process right. so you know shows there shows in like in Pennsylvania oh man I forget the names of these theaters there. <laughs> and back then you would acquire points or something to get your equity card okay. so you would work at
0: several weeks so you even get those from the dinner theater
1: yeah because well, yeah, they, they were equity yeah. houses they would yeah, hire yeah. equity so it would be about like you know the, they'd hire all these non-equity actors yeah. to come in and mm-hmm. And we, I don't know how we did it, but we would check off the points and here's my employment and I'd go to equity and here's my 180 weeks or what, I don't remember how, 18 weeks it could have been under certain
0: employment. For somebody who's not in in this business or familiar with it, what is the value of attaining equity status? What is the value of attaining equity status?
1: (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, equity is a, is a union that yeah. covers your medical expenses, okay, so uh, mostly. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but it's also this sort of form of community that now you are a sort of a professional equity actor. There are things required of you, but there's also thing thing, you know, you have to ser- work a certain amount of weeks to stay in equity. Yeah. So it actually pushes you and drives you to find better and better projects and to make yourself better and better in, in the interim. So... From there, that was just a st- sort of a status that became a thing that I, I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people in non-equity shows out there yeah, that are yeah. you know, living their dream yeah, as well. Yeah. I've done plenty of yeah. them. So yeah. I, I, I felt just as good doing those shows as I do now. I think uh, equity just has standards, yeah. especially like you don't have to wash your own costumes, <laughs> that kind of thing. Maybe you do. <laughs> right. But uh, it become, there's certain requirements upon everybody to become right. better,
0: and that's sort of how it just kept going. A quick dinner theater aside. Do you get dinner when you work at dinner theater? Or you, does, can. you can. Yeah. But I mean, you pay for it. There's leftovers. Oh, there's le-
1: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we, we still have a lot of chicken leftovers. <laughs> right. So that's what you're eating that <laughs> night.
0: Come okay, on, yeah. man. I'm <laughs> cut, I was cutting my teeth. Right, right. So now, how do you get an agent? What's the What was the thing that made that possible? I was on the tour of Cats. Yes. Which is now across the street from where I work that's now. That's right. Rum Tum Tugger? Tugger yeah. yeah. There was a
1: girl who was playing Grizabella in the show. She had an agent. They came out to see her. And she introduced me to them, and, and that's what it was. It was just like, hi, how are you? And I would really like to you know, pursue you know, having an agent. They, they immediately signed me, and it was, it was great. Came back to New York and had a lot of money saved from Cats. And yeah. from then on, they and
0: I like, worked on getting the next project. And that would have been Saturday Night Favor? Was that the big uh, thing that came from having the, an agent?
1: The cool thing came from Saturday Night, which uh, was Sondheim's Saturday Night yeah. Off-Broadway and that was basically my first in-town big show mm-hmm. was working with Sondheim
0: mm-hmm. were you actually working with Sondheim
1: Sondheim was there wow he, I was I was the swing I was one yeah. of the swings so I didn't I, the other guys were working yeah, directly yeah. with but he, him but I was there yeah. and I was and like this is the coolest thing yeah. ever I'm working with you know Steven Sondheim and, yeah. and on one of my first off-Broadway shows and there was clearly all a ton of respect on all sides and Kathleen Marshall was directing as well and there were some great actors that were, that were in that piece and actually Matthew Warches' his wife was in that so that's how I knew her before that's uh, so funny. he
0: knew her so. <laughs> <laughs> so that was well received off Broadway and then how do you first hear about this opportunity they're looking for a replacement for Joey Tony Manero's buddy in Saturday Night Fever on Broadway where you had never worked prior to that it's true.
1: I had also when I came back to New York and was and was doing Saturday Night before I started doing the show. I had tried to see as many Broadway shows mm-hmm. as I could. So, but that was in like the Footloose era. Yeah, yeah. So my wife Orfe, yes. was in that show. She was actually had taken over for the the one of the Rusty in that show. So we I should had,
0: say your wife in the future. She was not, future. She's right. not. my wife yes. at that, that point. Yeah. So
1: I had seen her in Footloose. I was like, who is this? <laughs> Ass, right. Killing it up right. there. And then I saw, I kept seeing more shows. I saw Saturday Night Fever and I saw her tear down the house mm-hmm. with uh, If I Can't Have You and as as Annette in that in that role. And I just, you know, enamored by her and I would just stare at her photo outside of the, wow. st- outside of the stage door. Not, you know, not really realizing that I would someday be there, but I knew in the pursuit of seeing something like Saturday Night Fever and... I was going to dance class a lot, a lot. And I was like, this is, this is the energy I want. Yeah. This is what I want to do. And I respect it so much. And I see these, these guys up there just having a, a blast and in this amazing show. It was about that energy. And that's kind of, that's, that's the kind of energy I like, I still like to use mm-hmm. as, uh something that that's as big as like a Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Or, and it was, it was just great. And so I somehow got an audition. It was me and Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block were uh, <laughs> auditioning for the uh, replacement, and I was like, "How's Joe, Joey Max here?" This right. is... So, seeing all the, you know, coming across all these things, you you realize that celebrities and 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 people who are in equity and and people who seemed sort of this unattainable status, I was just you know running into yeah. as I was you know pursuing my career yeah. and. You realize that you would become on the same level, mm-hmm. essentially, or mm-hmm. you're getting to that yeah. level, and it just you know kept building confidence. And so, you remember how you found out you'd gotten the part? Yeah, I think I was doing some non-equity show at the time. And I was like, I gotta leave you guys. <laughs> I actually got a big Broadway show, and uh, <laughs> and I got the call, and it was just kind of amazing. And the rehearsal, I'd never been in a Broadway rehearsal situation where it was. Yeah, it's like you and the dance captain learning a whole bunch of choreography for Saturday Night Fever is exhausting and I and I can't I can't say that I was such a technical dancer that I knew everything I was doing but there were a lot of lifts in that right, show. Right. Again, like back in the day when I was learning right. all the time, I'm I was still learning yeah, so much yeah. all at once, trying to push fear away <laughs> and just like let's get this and make this happen. So that was a an incredible experience, very exhausting and then becoming really, you know, so much elation from doing a show and being on Broadway. And I had, I, again, when I was, I walked out on stage and much like high school, when I got my first laugh from an audience and a Broadway audience, the best feeling ever. <laughs> oh, and I was going to ask
0: you, do you remember anything specifically about that night you made your debut? I remember nailing my uh, triple turn.
1: <laughs> then I had one line that was kind of like, you know, Joey throws out a line. I think he's talking about some some chick that Tony is seeing. He's like, "Yeah, you nailed something, something derogatory," but the audience laughed, right. and I was like, oh, "I was like, oh, I got my laugh on Broadway. Oh my god, you um, made it!" Yeah, yeah, it's still true to this day. Anytime the audience laughs at things, I'm just, so, just it's energy. It's, yeah. it's food for my soul. Now,
0: in the meantime, you are now working alongside this aforementioned actress in Saturday Night favorite who you'd had some. Attraction to, mm. and six months later you're married. How did yeah. what what the hell happened so quickly there? Um As I was getting into the
1: show yeah. and preparing for the show, the hair designer for the show, you know, my hair is actually lighter naturally, <laughs> so they had to darken me up to make me right. Italian. Right. And right. I played more Italians on Broadway right. than I can possibly imagine. Even in even in SVU, and right. t- they were like, "Okay, you have to look like Peter Gallagher, so we're going to dye your hair." I was like, "Can I not dye right. my hair
0: for something?" Did they bushy your eyebrows a little too? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's
1: like and we pulled it off cuz i've heard so many people say like you guys look like you're related. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay. But the hair designer for Saturday Night Fever, I knew from something else and he knew Orfe very well, so he would talk about us through him. Mm-hmm. Like and then i would say something that like, we'll tell her i say hello. Did you tell kn- her. Oh, so you knew this was an intermediary. So in some some form is like yes. you got you guys going to like each other right. and you know when we first got there and you know i was still like cutting my teeth and trying mm-hmm. to fit in and stuff like that. But Orfe was just being so sweet to me and really kind. And really, we were just laughing and really hit it off right away and started dating like a month later. And then it was like, boom, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's jump in. I mean, much like this whole career, this yeah. whole, whole, you know, wanting to pursue something, right. you have to jump in and see what happens. And so, you know, 20 years later doing this stuff and 16 years later married, being married for 16 years, you know, things have been consistent and wonderful.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing, though, that I imagine might have been a little challenging then and, and must always, I, I would imagine, be a, a tough thing when you're both performers is that, so you guys get married like a couple weeks after Saturday Night Favorite closes, right? hmm And a week later, you got to go on a national tour, right? Yeah. yeah. And she was not... She was not. No, she was, she's like, I don't want to go on tour. I had
1: actually been on tour with Cats and with a non-equity version of Tommy. So I actually liked touring. I liked seeing the country, that kind of things. But also they were to be connected with Saturday Night Fever, which was my first Broadway show. I thought like, well, heck, here's the job. They're offering me to go on tour and they're going to be paying me. (laughs) It's like, got to go where the work is. It was one of those decisions that it's like, as I, then I went out and then, I realized like this kind of sucks being away from mm-hmm. each other for so long. And then she came out to L.A. or came out to like a couple places we were at, but it still was just like sort of we were newly married. But I was also, but we're both in pursuit of career, right. so right, and 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 work, whatever career is. I don't yeah, know what yeah, career yeah. is anymore. It's just it's more like <laughs> let's just work. Right. So it worked out fine. It was, but uh, I I was so whole, so committed to doing that show, and that's really one thing I just care about in my life is like, the show must go on. Yeah. So, stuck with it, barely remember any of it, just <laughs> sort of did it and came right. back. We ended up doing a show intermittently during, I took a break from Saturday Night Fever where Orphan and I could work together in, in Philadelphia for a couple weeks or mm-hmm. a month.
0: Then I went back on tour for a couple more months and then I was back. And so, Saturday Night Fever, your involvement was like, starting around 2000 when it was on Broadway, then national tour for, what, like a year or so after that? Something like that, yeah. And then, what I'm just trying to f- see here is, so you and, and RFA ended up working together again in Legally Blonde, mm-hmm. which is 2007, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, again, just so people can kind of appreciate, I think they, they see you when you're on Broadway and so they're, oh, Andy, you know, there is again, but there are sometimes periods of time between these shows when you guys have to, you know, you find other things to grind out and do and whatever. So in that interim between interim period between Saturday Night Fever and Legally Blonde, what's it, a lot of off-Broadway stuff or what was going on then?
1: You know, wherever the jobs were, I think I I did, gosh, these are just great career moves. Happy days <laughs> at the Falcon Theater, but working with the late Gary Marshall, right, right. which was awesome. I took over, full circle, took over for Joey McIntyre. Oh my God. Ken, yeah, this, this is a very strange, weird, right, weird world. Right. He, he, he was doing it out there, and then they called me up because I had auditioned for it a while back, and went back out there. After that, came back and jumped right into the wedding singer for like six months or something like mm-hmm. that. And those those in between times, I'm sure I was working. I can, you know. It it becomes one of those things where you know the gypsy actor comes out and you're just like, where's the work? Yeah. You got to find it, especially when you're just trying to establish more and more of your name, and that's really, that's really the biggest thing on my side. You know, through the past years is is gaining relationships with people, and they they know they can trust me, and I can
0: trust them. And but when think- there's something like a period of seven years between Saturday Night Fever and the next time you're on Broadway with Legally Blonde, how much of it is, I'm happy because I'm working and doing things that I enjoy, and how much of it is, I'm concerned, am I gonna get back to be on Broadway again?
1: You know, there's always, never ever do I not finish a job and think, oh, I'm set. I'm gonna get those phone calls. I'm gonna be rolling in right now. I'll be pushing people away. Right. I don't think any actor must feel that way. I mean, maybe Morgan Freeman, maybe he can relax, <laughs> right? Right? Because they'll just call him up to do a voiceover or something. There's <laughs> right. no, but there's no actor out there. I don't even think there's any job that's like yeah, I'm you, so secure. Right. I'm going to get my pension. We're going to be great. Right. It's, it's about it's about finding the next thing. But right. that's also the that's the energy of of an actor, which is great because mm-hmm. we are in when we're even when we're doing a show we're thinking about four other things that we can be working on to mm-hmm. progress whatever else we have, and we've got going on and you writing music backstage writing stuff, music yeah. I was but you know in that before League of Le Mans was also Alter Boys which was one of the greatest experiences it was an off-Broadway show and it was, but it was it was a show about being together as a as a team and becoming close as actors and closest as friends and uh, and closest our characters on stage. Mm-hmm. That I learned a lot just from doing that show yeah. and, and and that was the energy I wanted to do. And it was also a very good showcase right. for all of us. Right. If so much a showcase that that's when Jerry Mitchell came to see it. That's when Jerry Mitchell said, do you want to be in Legally Blonde? I right. think you, you'd be great And whatever I put you in. And I was right. like, yeah, right. let's do it. So it became that. And then from Legally Blonde, Joe Mantello saw me and put me in 9 to 5. Right, right. And from there, it's like, you know, he put me in Wicked after that okay. closed. And <laughs> so, again, that whole it's thing is like... Yeah. I, I never, I've never felt like I've been so unsuccessful and I've had a terrible right, career right, right, right. In, in any case, well, in any well, setting. In, it's no. just been a, been a matter of like... I love this. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. Yeah, it's ter- it's turned into different things since uh, since those days, and I've not. I also like to learn as much as I can about everything, including writing music, mm-hmm. including acting. So I've I've had great opportunities in the last just five years that yeah. have changed my whole perspective
0: yeah. of, of what I what I do. Well, let's let's just briefly go through so a, a few of these others. Now that you be- you were becoming kind of a regular guy here on Broadway with. I guess starting legally blind you're playing the <laughs> UPS delivery man mm-hmm. who attracts the character played by Orfe yep in part with the with one iconic line which you might we might prompt uh, Yeah you. <laughs> that
1: that was the the UPS guy as they deliver this one says I've got a package. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, an right, innuendo right, as right, well. Of course. And yes. I played the hilt out of it and getting right. that laugh.
0: That was, was a good one. It was a great laugh. Right. And working every night now eight times a week with your wife. your wife. Mm-hmm. Is that... Is that a healthy thing when you're now you know it's one thing when you're attracted and you're kind of courting somebody or whatever but now you're it's was it fun or do you sometimes need a little bit of a separation between home and yeah, work yeah we've had
1: plenty of yeah. separation so yeah. it's like when we can be in the same place at one time on the same schedule that's easier right. way easier and it's you know good to walk home with somebody you know? yeah it just gives you the opportunity to be in the same place at the same time yeah. right now we we don't she has to you know she's She's waiting me for me to finish the show every mm-hmm. night, but she's also got. She's doing her voiceover. Yeah. She's doing workshops. She's doing all sorts of stuff right. that make us see each other in the night. Like, hi, got to right. go to sleep. See you in the morning, right. I got to go now to the next thing. So stuff, yeah. that ends up being weirder and harder because now yeah. it's more important for me to like make those dinner dinner dates right. Right. and tell her I love her every day yes. and sort of so just make sure that I'm, I'm
0: connecting. Sure. So you, you mentioned Joe Mantello as the thread that leads to 9 to 5, I guess, having seen you in, in Legally Blonde. You do that. Then there was this string of, of things that we should we should mention where you were a replacement in some of the biggest shows that have ever existed on Broadway, and certainly in this century. So you go in 2010 in Wicked. Joey McIntyre was also in that. Was it? That's right. I'm just I'm putting it all yeah, together Yeah, we got to keep it going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then 2011, your Tommy DeVito, the the, the black sheep in Jersey Boys, mm-hmm. which goes basically through 2013 with the exception of a few months when you went and did the Mystery of Edwin Drood, mm-hmm. which that one, I guess, in a way, really seems like a turning point, right? Because you got a lot of individual recognition for that. And want to talk about that. But first of all, I think we got to just go back to what is it like when you're when you're stepping into what is already a monster hit like a wicked or a jersey boys. Is that intimidating? those are very two different totally different experiences. Going
1: into Wicked, I already felt going into it that it was like this global thing. It was something that needed to be a certain way and a certain type of show and a certain there was parameters of of things I could do. And Mm -hmm. and by this time I was like I was used to like let's make up something that'll hit home on a on a different level. It's my own Mm -hmm. thing. So it's not that they squelched it as opposed to like, we have to keep it the context of the show because now and forever of wicked. Right. And it is a beautiful show. I I actually like was able to sit in the orchestra at times because I had time off stage. Mm -hmm. I was able to watch a lot of the scenes from off stage and just watch the magic of that show and also watch the heart of that show. And I think it's, it's, I mean, there's some friends that I have that like, oh, you know, it's all fluff and stuff. It's like, no, this actually is, is a very deep story. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it, Hits home to a lot of people So I sort of experienced that As well as I could And wore, and wore the tight white pants As best <laughs> I could And sang the song as best I could I, I never felt like it was mine right. In that experience On the other side of it Jersey Boys I felt when I saw it I was like I know what I can do with this role And there's a lot of dialogue And there's a lot of monologuing To the audience And cutting into to song and And, and sort of like finessing's a lot of the stuff that needs to be that you have to own. So I felt like as soon as I got that, I I'm, I know all the, I know all the lines. I know how this is going to work, but I know that there's some of the stuff that I'm watching right now. I know the jokes can land a lot harder if you're playing that guy that everybody loves to hate, who has got a, who's got a lot of charm. Right. So it was. In that sense, I was able to fr- be free with the with the character, obviously staying within the parameters of how the show works. That is another global thing. But if you don't have those four guys have a dynamic on stage, you're not going to feel what you feel every night watching that show. And and I know from just just experiencing it. And I that's when I had such a great time with those guys as well. I knew I knew we needed to connect yeah. on a on a friendship level and on stage. Yeah. And there was a lot of ping pong going out there, so it was great. So in in those two shows, I learned a great deal. And I'm constantly learning every yeah, yeah, show that I do. I don't want to do something where it's like, you know, old hat. Yeah. And so replacing was actually a great experience for me. And I was, you know, used to that back in the days when I did Cats. Right, so uh, right. I understood it. And Starlet Express right, back in right, the day. Right. So I thank Andrew Lloyd Webber for the employment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, what was it, though, about Edwin Drood that convinced you to step away from Jersey Boys for, I don't know if you knew when you stepped away that it was for a finite period of time and you would come back? Or, but what was it that, that even brought that about in the first place? I didn't know I'd come back, but Scott Ellis called me directly to
1: look at me for this role, and I was like, how would, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, here's a here's thing that directors have that I don't understand, <laughs> right. and maybe if I were put in that position to hire people, I would get is how they see it. I still, Groundhog Day. I, I was not like. How do you see this? I, and and it works out great. Right. So being cast into a it was sort of a prestige for. It was part of Roundabout. It was it was right. part of a, an organization right. that does great theater and also hires top notch people. Yeah, It's where I met Cheetah Rivera, yeah. who became a dear friend, and, and and Will Chase, and 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 all those guys who were in that show just. And young talent, talent, too, right? It's
0: so you and Jesse Mueller. Yeah, on and okay. Jesse Mueller. We just
1: we we hit it off, and right. we would have a ridiculous amount of fun on stage, and she just took off in her and in, in her career, and mm-hmm. and, and spoke you know, still two people that I, I consider myself humble in the presence mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. is talent and this whole amazing thing, the Broadway. But Jesse Mueller just as humble, and and being being able to you know have the trajectory and be humble, which is. It's a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, working with somebody like Cheetah Rivera, you you go, wow. Here's this legend. She's still rocking it out and and giving 110 and still just as as accessible as a mm-hmm. person as can be. And so, you know, she she taught me a lot. She's still teaching me a lot, mm-hmm. especially like from my injury recently. Yes. Yeah, it's like someone who wrote she me had, letters and texted me, and still her ended. leg had been shattered when yeah. she came back, right? Yeah, car so it's so she had respect for that yes. for what I was doing. Right. I was like, you have respect for me because I have nothing but respect right. for you. <laughs> and just a few months ago, we had done um, the uh, Carnegie Hall concert that she right. that was she just kind of Carnegie Hall concert, and she asked me to be part of that. So you know, it's it's all in respect. Sure. You know, coming from you know the dinner theater days to now, it's it's a really Oh, great that's a leap approach. in those experiences.
0: Quick jump back for one second to Jersey mm-hmm. Boys. That almost just even the opportunity to audition to do that almost did not happen, right? Oh, I'm sure. Well, in the sense, like literally it L- seemed like it yeah. was kind of a curse there. I I sort of like that was
1: one of those points where I was like, I don't I don't have any work, my agents. Hey, do you guys know of anything going on? They, asked, they said like, Yeah, well actually they're auditioning for Jersey Boys. was like, great. So I go there. The, the first time I go to audition, I think there was the what was it? What was that? It was one of the hurricanes. Something. It wasn't. It wasn't Sandy, but it was. It was right. a hurricane, so it couldn't go that day. The next time it happened. Uh, next time I was able to go back, one of the biggest earthquakes <laughs> that's hit <in> New York <laughs> right, happened. So right. that day didn't happen. It was. It was really strange how things worked out that way. Almost, you know, the gods telling me not to right, go do something. it or something. <laughs> but I stand in defiance of all the gods. Now. Sure.
0: The last four years, which happened to coincide with when I've been covering this stuff and have really been paying attention, this is why I'm, I'm particularly curious about these next questions that are coming up, because I've sort of seen the, the fruits of what we're about to talk about. So Rocky was, was on Broadway in 2014. It actually, though, took a number of years, like longer than usual and longer than many instances to come to fruition. You first heard about it. uh, And again, this is a musical version of rock. You first heard about in 2011. How did it cross your radar and, and, and how did you go after it? My agent, Richard
1: Schmenner from Paradigm, mm-hmm. who's actually, he just retired. Mm. He knows everything that's going on. So <laughs> he say, he says, they're auditioning for Rocky the Musical. And, and like many of, I'm sure your your listeners are, probably thought, what a bad idea. <laughs> I, I certainly was like, really? Is it is it going to be like a sarcastic, you know, pun about this show? Should, should I come in with a side <laughs> of beef and and hit it? So he told me it's very serious. Stallone is involved. Aarons and Flaherty are involved. And in how these are, you know, names of people that were, are, are huge. Mm-hmm. Bigger than big. So, okay, they're taking it seriously. Then I went back and watched the film and realized how intimate the film is. And really took a good look at it. And really looked at these characters for what they are. And, you know, think then sort of standing in awe of, like, how Stallone came up with this and pursued it and how he got the movie done and also the humility of, of that character. That totally intrigued me. They sent me the music and the sides, which were just beautiful, like intimate stories. And then the music is, was epic in, in, in many ways. So I went in and immediately when I, when I was getting prepared to audition, I was like, I, this feels right. Something about this feels like it connects with me. You know, I could, I could drop into my low baritone. <laughs> I could stay there. This is, just, you know, all those, all right. those musicals that used to be great, in, in the old days, the baritone songs mm-hmm. were powerful. Baritone ideas were. That's sort of where yeah. I learned everything. Yeah. Everything became tenor after right, that, you know, right. with Wicked and right, all that kind of right. stuff. So I was able to sort of sit in that and feel comfortable in it, and also f- sort of see a mountain in front of me with Stallone at the top mm-hmm. of it. And I said, "Is this the time when I just?" I climb mm-hmm. the freaking mountain <laughs> and ask that trainer over there. I need, I need you. I need to look, you know, as right. big as I can, and ask myself, like, what can I do? How, am I ready for this? I'm when I want to tear down everything and climb mountains. And... and this is
0: just to get the part. Forget yeah, about I want Yeah,
1: I want to show everybody what I what I got. Yeah, that's that's also, you know, a, a humble, beautiful character with mm-hmm. a lot of heart. So I audition and I think. Oh, I sent in a video audition from Atlanta when I was doing some movie and it didn't come out very big but they, they saw something with the little two-inch <laughs> two, and two inch screen that right. they were looking at right. and then called me back and it was like, I think we all realized it in the room. It, Including was Stallone gonna,
0: was in the room at that Stallone point, Stallone was right? not in the
1: room. Not yet? He came to the reading The first reading, okay. at Juilliard and I realized, you know, after about, I don't know two weeks of rehearsal while we're doing the reading and we're you know and I'm like yo how you doing and (laughs) and Stallone walks in and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna do this my voice in this character five feet away from where he's Uh. sitting and I was just something about it I was like this is gonna be to me it seemed funny yeah. to to do this yeah. it's a once in a lifetime experience and it was great He's, and he was like how you, you had the
0: part already or
1: not yet I I was doing the reading okay, so I so had yes, yes. I had it for that right the, there's that, no guarantees right.
0: for anything else and in fact what ended up happening was that for whatever their reasons I guess I, I don't recall why they decide we're gonna do this in Germany first yeah meaning yeah. we got to get a guy that speaks German speaks German yeah. so therefore for whatever the period that was gonna be a year it had gone away from you after yep. all of this work and there's no promise that it's coming back, right? No, I think that was one of those things where I
1: really fell in love with the role and it was it was like, ah, this is a bad position to be in where it's going to go away for a year and come back and I'm I'm not in that echelon of of actors who like he's that name that's going to push this through. I at was, that time. At that time and so, you know, I was just worried. For a year I was sort of like Talk talking myself down off of you well, cause know because
0: let's just talk this through if if it does well in Germany yeah then maybe yeah. they can come get a, a big big name here well
1: also the uh, actor in Germany could is, was an American actor who'd been over there for a long time so he spoke English so he spoken he could very well come back and in, if it and, didn't
0: do America. well who's going to want to do it on
1: Broadway yeah I mean I their 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 challenge their mission was to bring it back mm-hmm. always so but I was told it was going to be a year till that happens and so. That's, you know, it was, it was a waiting game for that. And, and when the, the call came through and I, I actually went back to the callbacks for it to come back a year later. And so you had to win it all
0: over again. Yeah.
1: I was like, I'm not losing this. So yeah. and I had train I had gone into training before that just to like get a little size on. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, this is my, this is mine. Mm-hmm. I had to feel that way. And if I, if, if I didn't get it, it would suck. But if right. I got it, it's, at least I worked for right. it taught me a lesson to like you know if you're in pursuit of something really you know give yourself a give yourself a kick in the pants and do it.
0: Well let's so this this brings us to what I have pieced together from various interviews was a very interesting basically like 24-hour period on or about like June 9th, 2013. There were several crazy things happening within like a day or two in your life then, right? You're doing a movie with Michael Douglas and oh, Rob yeah, Reiner. Yeah. I
1: was, I was in Jersey. I was back in Jersey Boys after Drood. Right. Because I loved the show a lot. It was still like a, a big part of my... Right. ...falling in love with acting. And then I got hired to do a movie with Rob Reiner directing and Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton starring. And, and I was heading out to Connecticut because I had the days to shoot and then come back and do the show, Jersey Boys at Night. But I was heading back for my first day of shooting. And that's when I got the call from my agent that I had just booked Rocky. So I was sort of living this actor's dream movie, also working at night, and I just got hired for the one of the biggest shows I'm, I've ever been up for.
0: And that night or the next night or something, like right in that same period, was the, you're in the opening number of the Tonys. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so we had done the Tonys the night before I was going out. Right. So the front page of... Like the Connecticut Times right. or whatever was sitting on the table in front of, and Rob Reiner's reading it, and I'm I'm on the front picture doing the opening, you know, with like my picture with the Jersey Boys, right. were you doing the opening number. Which,
0: by the way, I just rewatched. This is the opening of the 2013 Tonys. Which today there have been you know kind of articles and things. This is probably the greatest opening of any award show ever. This is like, can you tell people what they missed in in short, like all of Broadway. And yeah. Neil Patrick Harris, right?
1: Everybody was on stage, yeah. and Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, I think it's the, the Tonys does it right. I mean, look, it's it's the greatest amount of people with so much talent on stage all at once. Right, that something good's got to come out of it. I mean, I really like I like the Oscars and mm-hmm. I like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I like all those award shows, but I mean, with when you watch the Tonys, it's it's kind of it's like different. you know you you have a, a unique experience to watch some. Incredible talent. I think a lot of the award shows are, are getting bigger and bigger. The mm-hmm. Olivier's is getting bigger yeah, and bigger. Yeah. They're doing they're at the Royal Albert Hall now. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 production value. It's also this kind of stuff makes for great theater.
0: Well, you go to the Oscars, you don't see people performing their scenes. You go to the yeah. Grammys, they might sing a song, but here you're you know this is you're seeing why people are. Being recognized there. But but anyway, so you coming back, so that was the day you find out you've got you've got the part in Rocky. It's now gonna be a $16.5 million show, which is significantly large. You're originating it from a classic movie that people know and love. And you're, you know, we've talked about some of the physical work that goes into just looking the part, but then you've got to play the part every night where one boxing scene is five minutes another is 20 minutes at the end the the unbelievable finale there's a reason that there haven't been many boxing movies on Broadway because it's so hard probably just to stage let alone to beat somebody up and so when you're you know getting ready to go into this what was your feeling are you confident are you concerned are you nervous like what was the what was the vibe here i mean any any
1: movie to musical transfer comes with a bit of a skepticism for audiences they go and especially something like rocky which is hugely iconic yeah. and that character is just such a staple in people's brains that staple in a brain that's a weird <laughs> saying i'm going <laughs> to trademark that one right it was sort of like okay, let's see how this does. But I also think that it did not get its just due mm-hmm. as far as the stagecraft was really astounding. Yeah, I mean, people do remember the last twenty minutes of the show mm-hmm. because it was the most incredible thing. Where this ring came down from the ceiling, took over the first eight rows of the audience. The the audience got just got up and sat behind like they were in a real it was event. And the way that everything worked, the way it did, was was an, an enormous amount of effort. But in that frame, how do you advertise this type of thing? How do you sell it to make it, you know, something that people will just come see and see and see? So there's a whole bunch of things I have to fire correctly in order for a musical to get where it is. So, Mm -hmm. But my job was, I'm Rocky, find the heart, find the truth of all these Mm -hmm. things. Don't, if you're going to... If you're going to talk like this, it better sound like it's coming from your heart. You know what I'm saying? Because I can still drop into it now, and I can still talk to you like I'm actually Rocky. Because that's what Stallone did. Stallone, when he saw the reading for the first time, was talking the way that Stallone does, which is low, but it's not Rocky. Then he dropped into Rocky to show me how the character is. His eyes sort of glazed over his his mouth became a little bit more of a draw and his shoulders started moving. I saw everything that he did to create that character. Mm-hmm. And I did everything I could to sort of find that Rocky in me. And mm-hmm. so I, I took a lot of what he was
0: doing. But still made it your, your, your own, you still, not, still, yeah.
1: still You still make it, it's it's all about Rocky's heart. So it right. has to have truth and it right. has to have come from someplace deep inside of you.
0: To that point, I would like to quote your wife uh, on something about your, you at the time. Quote My dear, darling, sweet husband is a method actor, so there was definitely a gloomy cloud over the home during Rocky. Andy's a really funny guy. He's funny at home, he's funny everywhere. And it was the one time he wasn't funny. He didn't have that lightness about him. He was really tired. He was getting hit in the head 50 times a day. I won't say he was unpleasant to be around, but that was the most different he's ever been in our marriage because Rocky was coming home. Andy Carl was not coming home at that point, close quote. Does that yeah. sound, well, from I mean, your
1: perspective, is that correct? Every, every night was a fight. I'm getting beat in the head, and sometimes I get hit Actually hard. Actually hit, right. Um, but it's choreographed, every, but you, it's choreographed. you can't do everything. It's all full yeah. contact, yeah. but it's choreographed, so we know how to roll with the punches, and we don't, like swing as hard as we can, sometimes there was a percentage of these hits that would come because instinctually in our bodies when we're hitting, if you get like a little energy behind it, it'll come rock you. And I I like blacked out for like a second every now and again, or I'd get hit really hard where my neck would be like, wow. Yeah. So I would talk back with punches and I'd hit harder to his body. (laughs) It's like, please don't hit me harder. I will hit you as well. So in that sense, if you watch the first couple scenes of Rocky, he starts off with a fight, and then he goes home, ices his head, turns, looks at a sort of like a place where he just wants to lay down, mm-hmm. not deal with anything. Talk to his turtles. <laughs> I would talk to my dogs, <laughs> and I would go ice my, you know, my neck, and and sort of that's that was my life for yeah. you know, for uh, nine months or something it's, like
0: that for rehearsals till then. And so you know, to some extent, this was really bearing fruit. You got rave reviews. You get your first Tony nomination for Best Actor in a Musical. But what I think you were referring to a, a few moments ago about the challenges of of selling a, a musical any in any situation, but, let, but now one that is based on Rocky and it's playing at a place as large as the Winter Garden, the show was struggling to make money, right? And I remember people speculating at the time that this was maybe because women don't want to see a show about boxing and men are reluctant to see a musical. So that doesn't leave you with a lot of other people. It killed me though. So I can't even imagine for you because anyone who did see it was just blown away by the whole, the whole spectacle of it and the whole thing. So I just wonder, you know, it, it sounds like it was a very tough thing when you've put years of your life into bringing this thing to fruition. And then just nine months into it, you're, you're having and when you guys are couldn't be doing anything it's not like somebody wasn't pulling their weight you're just hearing that it's not it's not performing yeah i mean look that's the hardest one of the harder parts of doing
1: anything in this entertainment yeah. business is the amount of time that you spend doing it to prepare it to be something great and then you just once you once it's out there you kind of have to let it see how how audiences are going to like it? How it's going to play? How it's going to sell? That's part of the territory. I did everything I could to mm-hmm. to make that happen, mm-hmm. and so the people who did see it had an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. they were screaming "Rocky" at the end. Mm-hmm. They're cheering for me. I'm bloodied. I'm I'm sweating. You know, it's 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 one of the experiences like I felt good about yeah. what I did. Yeah. So I don't I don't look back at it in any sort of regret of like how do we not sell? That's totally my fault. Right. Or it was just, a, again, like I said, it takes so many things to fire correctly for a show to become a hit. But I, I still I still look back at it as like I I found something, a fire in me that maybe I had like from doing this for so long, maybe I, I needed to find that fire and climb that mountain and realize that this is the kind of stuff it takes to become next, to take yourself to the next yeah.
0: level. And. It did not knock you down because a, a year later, you're back in, on the 20th century, with Kristen Chenwith in a show that probably got the best reviews of yeah. of anything you've ever done, right? Yeah, yeah. So after Rocky, what happens?
1: Oh, yeah. Was, I think it was like, it didn't even feel like a year. It was like six months, something. Anyway, probably yeah. after Rocky, anything felt like so well, was, just a little bit of rest Yeah, was great. But yeah, on the 20th century, another Scott Ellis directed yes. show. So he, I had, I had sort of a rapport with him, and it was with Roundabout as well. Mm-hmm. And it was this again. It was another show that I was like, I'm not familiar with the show. Mm-hmm. Kevin Klein played it, so right. you know, again, it's like I feel like people call me now to step into big shoes. Yeah, Rocky, Jesus, yeah. Kevin Klein, <laughs> now <worry>. Bill Murray. <laughs> it's something where. Maybe I have that sort of trust from people that they know that I'm going to bring stuff, to yeah. it, but I'm not going to like you know ruin it. Right. That's kind <laughs> of basically. That's what I tell myself every day. Just, just yeah. don't ruin it. <laughs> so yeah, with on the 20th century, a great chance to show off the comedy skills, which obviously, so uh, you know, as my wife had said that you know I was I was rocky then, and now I was probably a little happier doing on the 20th century. Just, uh, just to so let so people
0: know, this was like a buffoonish. Errol Flynn, like early days, Errol Flynn, sort of climbing movie star, who's yeah. got an egotistical, like to the point of being hilarious.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was pure ego. Right. It was pure, purely <laughs> about his uh, shell and about right. you know making the next move to have the biggest star be yes. be the woman that he's with. He was <laughs> he was riding her coattails, much like I did with Christian Chenna with the next yeah. <laughs> And mm. how's how's it working with her? It was great. It was. Uh, many people i just i when i was doing rocky i was like okay this is hopefully my my wicked moment right. where you get noticed and right. then people start like seeing that you can you know, carry a show on your shoulders in that sense, uh, and you know, in some ways it did, some ways yeah. it didn't. At least they called me for 20th Century to be paired up with her. When I looked at the size of me at six two and, and her <laughs> at four foot something, um, I I knew immediately this is going to be hilarious. Right,
0: um, and you were literally like bench pressing. Yeah, I was, her in I was, the I was show, doing yeah. dumbbell lifts with her,
1: <laughs> and it was all sort of like you know physical. In craziness that she right. and I both connect on a very big level. She's right. a big goofball, yeah. and it's great. And uh, she—I mean, she's extremely talented, but also just like doesn't take herself seriously right. in in the way where it's like I'm right. such a star, don't touch me. She takes <laughs> her career very seriously, right, right. but but she's really a funny, funny girl. And, and so
0: for you, that's second year in a row, you're you're Tony nominee, best featured actor in a musical in this case, and I imagine that that is. You know, all of this is somewhat what what led the way to the Groundhog Day. Yeah, Matthew Warchus saw me in 20th Century. He
1: knew I could be a buffoon, but he also knew I had a dark side <laughs> with some Rocky, and uh, right. he, they needed a comedian. They needed somebody who could handle the singing. Of, the singing is kind of all over the place with Groundhog Day, from swing to like a rock ballad. I, yeah. I have to sing also be in that position of the responsibility of, of being in that lead position which is uh, you know it's it's a huge responsibility I would say this show is just as physical yeah. Groundhog Day is just as physical as Rocky was
0: and on the 20th century you're doing a lot of yeah. physical yeah. stuff luckily I had like, some off stage right, right,
1: right. but here again with Groundhog Day I'm off stage for maybe like three minutes yeah, of the entire insane. show so it's a privilege but it's another like getting there and work hard
0: and you were familiar with the movie I imagine absolutely yeah I grew
1: up with some Bill Murray. Let me tell you Ghostbusters was like <laughs> I know this like I remember standing in line when I was a kid like for two showings of at the movie theater oh, really? Ghostbusters was that big of a hit. Yeah. You'd have to wait to for like two showings of the movie in order to go in for the next movie. <laughs> right. So and 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 Bill Murray's just he, he today he's still just like rocking out these great roles and having also he's got that wink in his eye all yeah. the time. Yeah. You never know if he's going to be a good guy or when you find the goodness within within him, it always comes with like a a weight of someone who needs to get there. He's, you know, he's your ultimate Scrooge
0: type of actor. The challenge that comes with the part of of Phil Connors, this this weatherman who ends up reliving Groundhog Day over and over, is that it seems to me like we have to reach the conclusion early on that Phil is a huge asshole, right? Mm -hmm. Without coming to dislike him so much that he can't redeem himself. And when, when it's Bill Murray, we know we have a history with Bill Murray before we see that. So maybe you're even less, you know, you, you kind of assume Bill's going to come around and redeem himself just because we know it's Bill. Mm-hmm. For you, who some of these people that are coming to see the show may not have seen before, did you feel that that was a, a big hurdle? How do you walk that line between making this guy so unlikable early on and yet not go over that line?
1: It's one of my favorite things to do is play the the guy that everybody loves to hate. Um, <laughs> I found that in Jersey Boys again. Like we're, we're talking about all these shows yeah. that I've done and pretty much putting them all in yeah. a big jar, yeah. shaking it up, drinking that before a show, and realizing <laughs> that it's everything that I've done ever right. in my life. Also coming with a with the actors bitterness <laughs> about oh I didn't get that or it's like I've been working so hard and right. I get this blah 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 all this stuff you can easily fall into the trap of thinking <laughs> as an actor like how how awful this career is so uh, that was my way of finding the the bitterness of Phil right. Connors was just taking all the things that I avoid thinking of as an actor to stay positive mm-hmm. just grabbing onto the bad and just you know <laughs> making it apparent that I'm not happy to be there right um, <laughs> And the town that appears on stage really is the happiest musical theater right, right, town. Right. It's almost it's almost so saccharine sweet because you're you're le- hearing all these people sing this hilarious punxatani song that Tim mentioned. The Tim mentioned so great at writing a style of music that fits the type the type of people, and they're all smiles and they're all happy to be there. It's very easy for me to just play the, the <laughs> exact opposite. Of right. That. I've even heard like people talk to me and like telling me I've had friends come to see the show. I was like, I didn't know I didn't there was no way you were gonna be redeemed watching that first act. There was I was like, how is anybody gonna like this right, guy? Right. And I was like, awesome, I did my job. Yes. Exactly. That's uh, that's where I, I I find a lot of I I love that type of compliment. Right.
0: compliment So you guys initially did this at the old Vic in London. You get yes. rave reviews. Eventually you you won the best actor in musical Olivier, and Amazing. then you come here and One question I had is just doing any show I would think is somewhat inherently repetitive. You've got to do this eight times a week, usually, whatever. But then to also have to do the exact same things a million times within that show, Mm -hmm. do you go a little bit crazy with this one? I I go really smart about it. Yeah, I've had to
1: be really smart about all the choices and about staying awake and aware, Mm -hmm. never going on uh, any sort of like – you're just taking my brain out of it and just playing whatever's happening because I I can't. So every night you're getting me fully aware and anytime that I might drift off a little or, or I I always find myself immediately having to be grabbed back into the show because I have to remember that this is the first day. Right. When I say this line, the second day I come around and I change that up right. a little. The third day is a little bit different, but they're all they're all relatively the same movements, right. same actions. So what's easier about my part is that I'm linear. I can see what's happening all the time, and I can change it up in order to to go to the next day. The other actors have to repeat a lot of stuff exactly like they yeah, did yeah, the, yeah. the next day and the next day. So that's. I feel like their job is actually a little harder than mine in in that sense, but repeating it over and over again. The journey of Phil Connors is so beautiful to me in so many ways, personally and professionally. It, I have nothing but. Joy every time I do it. Some days it's harder than others. It's madness I wake up and it's <laughs> it's like there's a big journey ahead yeah. of me. But by the end of the show, I just, uh, and the audiences have just been so great in London as well as here. Mm-hmm. Unexpectedly amazing audiences. I knew how good it is. I just wanted people to see how yeah. good it is. So telling that story to people every night is, that yeah. gets
0: me through. With our, with our last couple minutes here, I just want to ask you, you guys have had and you, in particular, have had this unbelievable last few weeks. Which <laughs> I want to bring us up to the present. First of all, let's start with the you know an obstacle that you all face. Talk about the first preview here in New York of the show.
1: I have never been on a more crazy journey, even from London. this has yeah. been like a, an insane amount of uh, patience and and um, courage and positive forces to get us all through because there's been a lot of like tears and it's been the craziest experience because it is so complex and because we have such a story to tell. So the stage is actually made up of five different revolves on the stage. This, this, This enables us to forward time theatrically. It's also very cinematic for the audience Mm -hmm. because they see people passing in front who are just standing still, and the next person sings, and the next person sings. So it's very beautiful in the way that it's staged, but it's also very complex, which requires a very complex floor. It doesn't look that way from the audience because the show needs to be very... needs to look pretty analog as as, as far as what type of stagecraft we're using. So combining all of that plus incredible choreography plus the floor moving underneath you while people are in tap shoes or I'm doing like leapfrogs or I'm jumping up on something or you know and required to remember all these crazy lines and how we repeat them over and over again it's very complex Mm -hmm. most complex show I've ever had to do so the first night of uh, previews the floor was having trouble because just in electrical issues especially with Con Edison I mean Mm -hmm. of all the things (laughs) that were just like sort of failing us. where like the electricity of the city is failing us. Oh. Was, so the floor got stuck and jammed and actually a piece of stuff underneath of there broke, which they found out later. Mm. Total fluke thing that never has happened.
0: At the first freaking preview. First preview, preview in, okay.
1: front of, in front of an audience. Right. We were very like happy to be there. Yeah. So for, first 15 minutes I'm in, show's rocking. People are loving it. Floor stops. Stop for a good 10 minutes. They realize they can't start the floor up. In the meantime, what are you doing? I'm backstage, like, going, really? This is is happening right now? (laughs) Matthew just comes back and and basically comes up with the idea. It's like, what if we did a concert version for everybody? I was like, yes, I know this material stands on its own. We got all these chairs from, pieces from the stage and just chairs we had backstage. We sat, everybody who had a line or a song stood up and came forward and sort of half blocked something. And I tell you, man, that audience was with us the entire time and they gave us such love and the material was so funny and they knew how to suspend their disbelief anyway, because that's what you do in the theater. You kind of have to suspend your disbelief and be involved in this world that's being played out in front of you. I think it was one of the more unique, more special performances of theater I've ever been able to be
0: involved. So that's, that's that's the very beginning of previews now, 72 hours before opening night. This would have been Friday, April fourteenth. You're in the second act of the preview, and what happens? It's a number called Philanthropy,
1: where I'm saving everybody's life. I'm or life, or just saving their day. Mm-hmm. I'm running back and forth from stage left to stage right. It's a constant number where I'm moving and running and running and and catching falling cats from the from the <laughs> ceiling and and you know fixing a holster for a gun here, then running off and changing a tire. It's something Phil has discovered that he can do. He knows everything that's happening, so he does all this stuff. So I'm at top speed running from stage right to left, leapfrogging over somebody to catch a woman falling out of a ladder. This is my Superman moment, so this is towards the end of that number, and I land I land wrong on one on my left leg, and it my knee just slams into my other knee full acl tear which i didn't know at the time i just knew that i went down hard i luckily had put my hand my forearm in front of me because there was a ladder th- that i catch her from came straight from my head and oh. I, I put my forearm up i didn't realize i had done that i think it was instinct because i had a huge bruise for a couple of days i didn't realize where that was from
0: and you're in excruciating pain
1: from the knee i was more in shock and awe of I knew everything at that – it's hard to even think about today because I don't like thinking about this. Mm -hmm. But I'm – here's – I just want to go dark for this moment Mm -hmm. because the the after effect is something interesting. I had never sort of felt any loss like that in my life. I had three days before we were opening and I had had such – I had just won the Olivier. I had just gotten all these – I mean, people – there were – I heard about good reviews. I heard people were just like slamming us with such good love for the show. And my producers were happy and everybody was happy. And just before the show ends, I go down so hard and I, I realized I lost everything all gone. I don't like to, I hate mm. talking about it because I'd really, I haven't really, I haven't really t- been able to deal with it fully yet. Yeah. It's still, still tender moment, but, uh, That's what I was hurt about most. The pain really didn't affect me. And actually, I've never had a pain pill since we started this, since I got this thing, because I also think ACLs are not really connected to a lot of nerve endings. So Mm -hmm. they're just, once they're gone, they're gone, and you can't walk. It'll hurt to walk. Mm -hmm. I just laid on the floor sobbing in front of the crew, in front of the cast, in front of the production team, uh, because I had lost it all right at the pinnacle with a show that was going to do better than anything I had been involved with before. And... And it was everything personal to me because I'm so in love with the show. Mm -hmm. So I spent like 15 minutes sort of, well, I'd say that five minutes just sobbing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then five minutes thinking about what the hell are we going to do? And then I realized that. Because
0: in the meantime, the curtains come down. curtains
1: come down. The uh, ENTs have have shown up. And I'm sitting backstage just trying to figure out what the hell to do. And then I realized my next song is called Seeing You, which is about, which is really Phil Connors' time to access his time with this crowd, with this, with the people behind him and sing about something, something that is deeper within himself. And at that point, I, I told the EMT guys just like, here, I'll sign that. Go away. I don't want you guys. I'm going to limp out on stage. I'm going to do this last number for this audience. And I sang the song with a cane in one hand and, and, uh, you know, just limping through the next scene, which is really just, I had two more scenes to go, mm-hmm. but it, at that time it, it's when I look back at the crowd that's on stage and I, and I sing about how much I haven't seen. And now I see so many, so many things within everybody and they were all in support of me. And so it became this huge life lesson thing that was happening all at once in the context of 15 minutes of my life, and it's so many things that are still happening, and so many realizations that have come since then, that it's every time I do the show from now on, it's a bigger experience. It's always been it's always been big for me, but it, this is a this is a life lesson champion moment. You know, also going to the depths of seeing everything go away to the wave of love coming at me, the the appreciation for where I am in my life and the appreciation for all the time we've just discussed on the on your mm-hmm. podcast today of where I've come from mm-hmm. to be here all out on stage for the audience. And I have no problem exposing that to people because it's all been done for that for them. And so. It's it's beautiful. It's uh, it's beautiful and horrible and tragic and wonderful and and elating and and special. And I don't recommend it for anybody. No, but but it, it become it became that that decision of this is either going to define you or this is going to crush you. And I chose for it to define me in that way where I'm going to get up. I don't like wearing a brace, which I still am wearing for the shows that I'm doing. I've, but I let's took, before we even get yeah. to
0: the current, let's just stay for for people who who may not have been following this, which. It's been unbelievable because you—so you finish the show, which not many people would have would have done. You then, I guess, go off to the hospital. You get to figure out what the situation is. Correct me if any of this is wrong, but the next day, you do not do the show. Correct. The under, your understudy does it. Sunday, they're— The, their the is, was canceled. canceled.
1: Went, he, they rehearsed all day, and the understudy did the last show of the week, which is He was did Saturday.
0: the evening, right? There's no—happened, fortunately, not to be a Sunday show— and then Monday night when you guys opened, you were you were back. Yeah, this oh God, as
1: the MRI, MRI with the doctor showed full tear. How do you come back from this? There, there, everybody was in in the idea that, like, let's try to get you back for Monday. Don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to there.
0: They're saying we want to get you back or you're saying I'm going to be back.
1: My wife is saying more like, I can't can't believe she saw, she had the vision. She she said, while I'm in the hospital, it's like, you're doing Monday night, your opening night. Are you going to sit at home or out in the audience and let your opening night pass you by? In that selfish way, like, no, but I can't walk. Mm -hmm. I couldn't walk Friday night, and I was on crutches most of Saturday, but I was in physical therapy the next day trying to figure out how do we how do we how does this ligament look can you straighten your knee I could barely straighten or bend but uh-huh. I was like really accessing a lot of uh, like mind control over that and trying to push so 72 hours later we I showed up on Monday which was our opening day I showed up on Monday morning at nine thirty to work out some things that I needed to change a little because there's this show's very physical yeah just basically I couldn't you know, do a couple of turns and things like that the entire cast shows up at 10am and I'm still indebted to all of them because on their opening night they had to show up at 10am and rehearse all day before their opening night so you know the girls have to get their hair done they bought dresses for this night the guys are like you know I don't want to be here anymore we've been rehearsing every day since you know the dawn of time <laughs> and this is how I felt because I told them I'm so sorry I emailed everybody I said I'm so sorry and they were all just like shut up we're, we're going to be there for you and so it, it was astounding that amount of love was happening which got me through because I was on my feet for 16 hours from rehearsals to the uh, opening night party I don't know how we did it but we did it and people went nuts people went nuts because here's the thing it became a karate kid moment and like I, I didn't. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't playing it out like that. Right. I was like, because somebody told me about it, sh- showed me a GIF of Karate Kid. And I was like, oh my god, that's exactly how I felt when I was watching Karate Kid as a kid. You know, here's this guy who has his legs sweeped from out of, under him, and he has his last move to, you know, win the, the <laughs> uh, the big battle. And so right. I, that was it. And and from playing Rocky, I knew it's like champions. Just they they get up. There's nothing that keep you, life can knock you down, but you got, it's how tough you are to stand up. You know, all these life lessons are flashing before my eyes. So that night was very special. Yes, I was, I was limited to a little bit of a, of a limp in my walk, which, you know, I,
0: understandable. but,
1: but I tell you when you're faced with that kind of stuff, the acting becomes, the story becomes so so much a of a bigger thing. I became a worse of a, of a jerk and more of an evolved person by the end of that night. I think, you know, my wife kept telling me, like, I've never seen you act that thing better than that night. And it's true. It's like when I didn't have this, I didn't have my leg, I didn't have the physical stuff to depend on as much. It became about this story, which I knew worked from that opening night that, we, that our stage broke. Mm-hmm. We have this immense story that needs to be told and people love this story and it teaches a lot of lessons. So again seeing singing that last song for that opening night was just as profound it, it was a, but it had a whole new meaning for me internally and sure and sure for the audience as well because they knew somebody was up there trying living that thing of the show must go on and that's something that's you know through the career or, or the shows that I've done it's that's like I've seen it a million times and
0: now here's my opportunity well i had the opportunity to see you that within a week after this all went down and I mean, to be honest, I forgot that there there had even been a injury until you kind of make the the joking, winking reference within the show referring to your knee yeah. brace. But I mean, it's just an unbelievable story. And I and again, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I've only been really doing this speed for four years, and so I, I don't feel like I have the observer performer familiarity with anyone else that I that I you know to the extent that I do with you from having seen Rocky on the 20th Century and now. Groundhog Day. And so just generally, I'm excited to see you do anything. But to see, you know, what you've had to overcome with this, it's really special. So I I just tip my cap to you. You're now going back to a full schedule. You'd only missed a few matinees, I think. Yeah, I
1: missed uh, two matinees last week. And that was was the second week. The first week after the injury, I missed four shows because doctors were just like, don't do this. But after I got through this week, then starting... The week now yeah. I'm starting full schedule and uh, the doctors are impressed.
0: Yeah, this is the kind of and thing the, uh, professional the athletes are impressed. and things are gone for, for, a I'm year impressed. This, oh, it's, you should, it's <laughs> just an amazing thing. So really, uh, it's, it's
1: hard to be cocky though, once, cause uh, you'll have a little tweak in your leg. You're like, oh, I don't feel,
0: no, but I gotta people, get through. People should know, like, you know, it's hard enough to do eight shows a week of anything when you're not on stage the whole time, when you're not severely injured. And when, when you're not, you know, dealing with the emotional side of it, which is, as you've acknowledged, is sometimes probably as a result of this worse than the, hmm. the physical. So anyway, I just tip my cap to you and I really thank you for thank doing you. this. And there's and no
1: business like show business. No, Listen to that song. You'll, you'll right. hear it again you'll it. and you'll, you'll get it. But uh, I just want to say this is, I realized this is how theater, people in the theater are Yeah. backstage, on stage producers we get this show on and the show must go on. And I have never been taught that lesson stronger than I have been now. And if I can pass that on to anybody else who joins the theater, that's what we're made of, made of like steel. So let's do it. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. plus.